there is a wealth of amazing sleep research coming out, which tells us that sleep is the most powerful performance enhancer known to humankind. And so it, it, it's almost like we need to pay attention to sleep a little bit more if we are to eat at our best, to manage our weight and to move effectively. Hi, my name is Rongan Chatterjee. Welcome to Feel Better, Live More. So, how are you all doing? This is episode 111 of my podcast. I'm actually doing really well at the moment and I'm super excited about today's show, which is something a little bit different and is all about sleep. So my team and I have decided to put together a special compilation episode with some of the highlights from previous episodes of the podcast, all based around the very popular topic of sleep. Now, many of you have been asking me for some shorter compilation episodes, but what has really prompted this week's show is two key reasons. Firstly, in lockdown, many of you have told me that you don't have your usual car journey into work or your long train commutes, times when you would usually escape with your earbuds and listen in peace to my weekly long-form conversations. I know you are still getting through the chats, sometimes over two runs or two walks, but for some of you, I feel that shorter content may be easier to fit into your current schedule. Secondly, you may know that it is my incredible wife who produces every single episode. And with the current UK lockdown situation, with all schools being shut, our children are at home the entire time. And we are both super mindful of spending as much quality time with them as we can around our respective work commitments. So we thought a compilation episode with some highlights from previous content might help reduce the workload. In fact, it has actually taken quite a lot of time to produce, but we are super happy with the results and really think that you are going to enjoy. You are about to be taken on a journey of time travel through my podcast, and I have five brilliant former guests lined up for you, sharing some of their very best practical tips on sleep. Now, sleep is one of the most undervalued pillars of health. Many people struggle with their sleep, particularly at the moment. And I can tell you, in almost 20 years of seeing patients, the vast majority of sleep problems can be improved, if not completely fixed, by making small tweaks to your lifestyle. If you are a long-time listener of my show, you will no doubt recognize some of these previous guests. And if you are a new listener, I suspect that these short clips may prompt you to revisit some of the original episodes. Now, before we get started, I really do want to give an important shout out to the sponsors who really are essential in order for me to put out episodes like this one. There is so much talk of sterilizing and sanitizing at the moment, but at times like these, we also need to be thinking of ways to strengthen our body's amazing natural defenses. And in the mouth, this is the oral microbiome. Zendium is the very first toothpaste brand that I have come across that aims to support the health of the oral microbiome. Now, we're normally used to toothpastes promising to kill the bacteria in our mouths, but Zendium is actually a little bit different. It protects your mouth in a kinder way. It contains natural enzymes and proteins that aim to increase the numbers of good bacteria 
which protect your mouth naturally and reduce bad bacteria to protect it against dental problems. Zendium is the toothpaste that myself and my entire family use and have been using for quite some time now, and we really, really like it. The very best way to try out Zendium for yourself is to go onto Amazon and order. That is the online store Amazon where you can go and order your Zendium toothpaste today. Vivo Barefoot, the minimalist footwear company, are also sponsoring today's show. And you may well know, because I've mentioned it so many times, that I absolutely love Vivo Barefoot shoes. I've been wearing them for many years, as of my entire family, long before they started supporting this podcast. They make really comfortable, minimalist shoes that you can live your entire life in. I wear Vivo's for absolutely everything. Walking, running, playing. Basically, whenever I have shoes on, I've got Vivo Barefoot shoes on. I've been recommending them to patients for years and I've had so much positive feedback in terms of how they've helped people with back pain, hip pain, knee pain, and so much more. If you have never tried them before, honestly, I really would recommend that you give them a go. Many people at the moment are taking advantage of the current regulations and making sure they go out at least once per day for a long walk. Why not try Vivos the next time you do that? For listeners of my show, they continue to offer a brilliant discount. If you go to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more, they are giving 20% off as a one-time code for all of my podcast listeners in the UK, USA, and Australia. Importantly, they offer a 100-day trial for new customers. So if you're not happy, you can send them back for a full refund. You can get your 20% off code by going to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more. Now, on to today's conversation. And first up, we have a true sleep expert, Dr. Guy Meadows, a trained physiologist with a PhD in sleep disorders from Imperial College London and co-founder of The Sleep School. This is a clip from way back in the podcast history, episode number 11. Make sleep a priority in your life. You know, agree more. it is the most powerful performance enhancer. You know, it impacts every biological process. If you are truly sort of, um, you know, uh, passionate about improving your health, then just make sure you get a little bit more sleep. I strongly believe that the majority of sleep issues that I see mm. are in some way driven by our, our modern lifestyles. Most of us have our phones in our bedrooms and it's disturbing the quality of our sleep, whether that's just, you know, whether that's through checking the time, whether it's through actively sort of getting involved when, it, when you can't sleep, um, or it's just the sort of knowledge that your entire life is sort of sat there at your fingertips. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? For the, the vast majority of us, as a result of the way we were living our lives, it's impacting on the quality of our sleep. So certainly if we were to, um, you know, sort of eat better, move better, get more light and do all of these basic things we would just have much better quality sleep and you know we would notice it the next day you yeah. know we'd be more attentive we'd be more focused we'd be have be able to recall memory you know easier whoever uh, you look at you know sort of at whatever age points they're in um, if you can improve the amount of sleep that they're getting you can improve the life they're getting you know, so, so companies are getting in touch with you now to come in and actually taught them about how they can improve the sleep uh, health, let's say, of their employees. Are there 
common things that you find employers are doing or the, the environment at work is set up in such a way that it's impacting those individuals and those employees and their ability to sleep in the evening? Are, are, there, are there common things that you see across the board? Absolutely. So I think that one of the, um, the the easiest ways to explain is to, to talk about how we've set up our professional programs. So whilst, you know, we're the sleep school, so, you know, sort of we, we focus on the sleep, but what we're crucially aware of is that there are three sort of obvious time points during the day in which uh, you can excel, but which are all interconnected. And so, for example, you know, how an individual performs during the day, um, i.e. how they manage their stress impacts how well they sleep at night. So what we'll seek to do is, is you know, give the employees tools to manage daytime stress. Wow. Um, because that, because of the knock-on effects, and then the next area, and this is the sort of the, the the you know the new kid on the block, but super exciting, lots of great research being done, etc. And this is our ability to detach at the end of the day, you know, as a result of just work demands, self-induced pressure, or just sort of technology these days. Many of us just aren't actually disconnecting. Yeah. We're not detaching, and we now know. That's fundamental, not only to sleep, but actually to recharging the sort of the human yeah. brain. You know, it's kind of like getting home at the end of the day and really engaging with your family, with your friends, with your kids, doing something of real value. It's kind of like taking your work brain and plugging it in. Every sort of high order executive skill begins with attention. Yeah. And we know that when you are sleep deprived. So, for example, if you've been awake for more than 17 hours, um, it has the equivalent impact on our ability to focus as having a blood alcohol level of 5%, yeah. which is the legal limit. It's incredible that, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's a statistic we need to sort of hammer home to the public more because I think you really get it then. Yeah. Really get it. And, and it's not like we would, you know, it, it's... it's you know, the funny thing that's for me is that if you were to wake up and have a few pints and then go to work, that would be considered to be sort of outrageous. Yeah. And yet it's perfectly normal to be sleep deprived and turn up to work when actually the impact on our cognitive performance is very similar. There is a wealth of amazing sleep research coming out, which tells us that sleep is the most powerful performance enhancer known to humankind. And so it, it, it's almost like we need to pay attention to sleep a little bit more if we are to eat at our best, to manage our weight and to move effectively. Yes, I talk about food, movement, sleep and relaxation, but I talk about how they all impact each other. You know, you can get on that train wherever you want and it will lead you to the others because they're all connected. You know, you change one thing, you have the opportunity to change everything. Next up, one of the world's leading sleep researchers and author of the international bestseller, Why We Sleep, the one and only Professor Matthew Walker. Matthew passionately believes that sleep is the foundation of health. And this is a clip from episode 70. Listeners to my podcast know that I, I talk about these four key pillars of health that I think have the most impact on the way that we feel, but also that we've got some degree of control over. Hmm. Food and movement, which people have been talking about for years, but also sleep and relaxation. Now, in your book... Right at the start, you make a very powerful case why sleep is the foundational pillar of health. I used to think that sleep may be the third pillar of good health alongside diet and exercise. But the more I sort of did my research and the more I read from other people, I realized I was probably wrong that, in fact, sleep is the foundation on which those two other things sit. 
Um, and I'll give you an example in each. Firstly, for diet and exercise, we know that if people are trying to lose weight and they're being judicious about their food intake, they're trying to um, diet, but they're not getting sufficient sleep, 70% of all the weight that they lose will come from lean muscle mass and not fat. Wow. Because your body becomes very stingy in giving up its fat when you are underslept. So dieting becomes, you know, quite redundant in that regard. You know, you, you want to keep the muscle, you want to let go of the fat and sleep deprivation will do the opposite to you. So that's the first thing. It's a foundational element on which, you know, nutrition sits. Let me move over to activity. We've spoken about the foundation on which diet sits. When you are not sleeping sufficient amounts, firstly, the likelihood that you will actually exercise decreases significantly. Your motivation to be physically active drops away. Even if you are physically active, the intensity of your workout will not be as strong. So it's less effective and less efficient. Your things like your vertical jump height, your muscle contraction strength, even the exchange of carbon dioxide and oxygen in your respiratory systems they get worse when you haven't slept. Wow. What's even more frightening, however, is that your risk for injury increases when you are exercising but not well slept. This is incredible. And they did a great study where they looked at um, some athletes across a season and then they tracked their sleep. And then they bucketed those athletes into the different amounts of sleep, nine hours, eight hours, seven hours, six hours. What they found was a linear relationship between less and less sleep and increasing risk for serious injury during a sports event. So there is yet another demonstration of how even if you're trying to be physically active but not getting sufficient sleep, it can be harmful. The beauty of that part of the relationship and the same for diet is that it's bi-directional that if you actually you know improve your sleep you can improve those two things but conversely those two things will improve sleep yeah. so if you start to correct your diet you start to sleep better but physical activity is a great way to enhance both the quality and the quantity of your deep sleep so often when we talk about sleep, we don't think about light, but our biology is set up to work in harmony with both light and dark. Access to natural light is really important for regulating our sleep. And in episode 77, I spoke to award-winning journalist Linda Geddes about her fascinating findings and research in this area. When you came home one day with this idea and you thought you'd tell your husband, is it? Mm -hmm. And your kids about your new idea, what was the response? Okay. Well, and this is relevant to this whole thing of, you know, well, I don't want to go to bed early and it's really boring if I go to bed early because, you know, a lot of us are like, well, I feel alert at night and I want to go out at night and see my friends and stuff. But after this experiment, I've kind of changed my view of this. So my idea was, um, what would happen if we go cold, cold turkey on artificial light after dark? That was my original thing. I was just interested in what happens if we get rid of all this artificial light. Um, and so I went and saw these sleep researchers at the University of Surrey and, and said, I'd like to do this experiment. Will you help me? And they said, yes. Um, but what we'd like you to always also think about is to try and boost your daylight exposure, which is how I first came across this, this all this research or emerging research about the importance of daylight. Um, so the idea was that from 6 p.m. onwards, there would be no electric light and we would use candles. 
instead. And then in the daytime, I would try, even though it was the middle of winter, I would try. And even though I'm bound to a desk in my work, um, I would do everything I could to get as much bright light exposure as possible. So that was things like doing my to-do list outside rather than at the kitchen table where it's really dark. Um, and when I made my breakfast in the morning, just going outside with my cup of tea and just, you know, standing in the garden and eating my cup of tea and my, my bit of toast. Um, and also swapping kind of indoor exercise. I did quite a lot of exercise, um, but swapping going to the gym in like a windowless exercise studio for doing the same kind of exercise outdoors. What, what was the impact of doing this? I was definitely sleepier earlier in the evenings. I wanted to go to bed like at sort of nine, 10 o'clock rather than 11 or 12 o'clock. Um, I didn't always do that because of social obligations, but I wanted to. We also, um, we once a week, we took readings of my melatonin. Now, melatonin is a hormone that you release. It's under the control of the circadian clock and you release it in the evening at, at night. And it's basically a kind of biological signal to your whole body that it's time to shift change into night mode. And one thing it does is it impacts on the sleep centers. So it does tend to, you know, you release melatonin and your brain kind of goes, ah, nighttime, it's time to feel sleepy. Here's some sleep signals. And what we found was that I started secreting melatonin between one and a half and two hours earlier than when I lived normally. So that explains why I was feeling sleepier earlier, because my body was, was saying, it's nighttime, but this is, two hours earlier. I mean, for people listening, I just want to emphasize how, you know, how striking a point you just made. We're talking about a very important hormone in our body. Yes, it's associated with sleep. There are other studies suggesting it's an antioxidant, that it may have some anti-cancer properties, potentially. And, you know, we can maybe explore that later in our conversation, but this is an important hormone that is under this circadian clock that simply by switching off artificial light in the evening, you are shifting maybe two hours beforehand. You're changing an important hormone's secretion by two hours. Yes. That is significant. If a drug was doing that, we'd be talking about it. There would be a list of side effects on it. Yet we're sort of, many of us are doing that every evening yeah. on our devices without the awareness of the implications. Next up, we have Nick Littlehales, who is an elite sports sleep coach and author of the book, Sleep, The Myth of Eight Hours. Now, Nick has been key in improving sporting performance by redefining sleep over two decades in sports. And he's worked with high-profile teams like Manchester United and Team Sky. And he provides different perspective on sleep. This is a short clip from episode 14. For the first time ever, Alex Ferguson decided that he wanted to train in the pre-season period, both in the morning and the afternoon, which was a first. Right. So... What happened was, is what do we do with the players in between the two training sessions? And rather than having them lying around on sofas and playing games and whatever, uh, we actually decided to, I suggested that they, we took a room inside the training ground, we cleared it out, we put in lounging products, and we encouraged all the players to actually go in there. And what you would all know about is take a nap, take a sleep recovery period. Now, that's the first recovery room probably ever and that was certainly the first recovery room in sport and just imagine we're talking 1997-98 so just imagine back then with young lads 
biggest club on the planet uh, at that time, treble winning team. And we're talking to them about sleeping in between training sessions. Principally, whatever Alex wanted to do, yeah. then the staff and everybody just went, we'll do it. And so what a unique set of circumstances uh, f- to actually me be next to that club with that manager, with that set of circumstances. And he was very open to let's find out about it. That was a unique thing. So when we actually, when I said we should create a room to help them sleep in between training sessions, this is midday, right? He just went, right, okay, I like, I like what you're saying to me, so I'll make it happen. So when I said to the players, you need to do this, they didn't turn around to me and say, I won't do that. They just went, okay, let's have a go. Show us what to do, Nick, and we'll try it. And what did they do? They did it. And what they did, it wasn't too scientific, I have to say, but what they noticed, that certain people, certain players, as they were taking that recovery period, and whether they fall into sleep or not, there seemed to be benefits. So even if, even if one of the players didn't actually fall asleep, they were in mental and physical recovery, just lying there. What benefits? Well, when they looked at data in the afternoon, right? you know, maybe a sprint between A and B over 30 metres, they could see that if they didn't go and nap, maybe it was a little slower in the afternoon than it was in the morning, right? And there was tiny little things like that. And also, the people who did it seemed to be more alert and aware and happy in the afternoon, whereas the ones who didn't were sort of carrying the the effects of the morning. People listening to this... Maybe thinking, well, yeah, it's all right for Premier League footballers, but how does that apply to me? Well, let's just think about what you just said for a minute. For those people who took that nap or that recovery period, let's say, so they weren't always falling asleep, yeah. that having that physical and mental recovery, their performance was improved. Obviously, in a footballer, you know, the speed of sprinting is very important parameter to measure, yeah. right? But you know, people listening might be working in an office or might yeah. be working, you know, in other environments. You know, your performance, their attention, their concentration would also be improved by recovery periods, let's say. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, this has lots of crossover benefits, I think, yeah. for the general public. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. In fact, what are some of those, do you think? What have you gleaned in, what, 20 years, let's say, yeah. at least, of being involved in elite sport and, 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 and advising on sleep, you know, what, what can the, the layman on the street learn from that? Today, just put in your browser circadian rhythms and you'll see some images of a 24-hour period of when testosterone, blood pressure, light and dark, everything else, which is happening every day. And we all talk about harmony with patterns and rhythms. If you just get a little bit of a better understanding of the human relationship with light and dark, you'll start to figure it out. Change your mindset to sleeping in cycles rather than hours and realize that we, we've always slept in a polyphasic way rather than monophasic. So it's perfectly natural for you to do shorter periods more often and wake up in the middle of the night and feel happy. So the first thing you do is just identify your most consistent wake time. So mine is 6.30. Um, it means that I will wake any time between quarter to six, six o'clock, 20 past six. I'm always switching my alarm off it, unless I do something crazy. Um, and I like 6.30. It, it means I can pretty much do everything I've ever been asked to do. 
Uh, I don't become a sleep coach until eight o'clock. The next 90 minutes, my post-sleep routine, which is really important in today's world. And all I do is chop the 24 hours up into 90 minutes. So I get 6.30, I've got 8 a.m. that way, but I also go back. So I've got five. You get these timings back in 90-minute cycles. And if I go to sleep at 11 o'clock, that's five 90-minute cycles into 6.30 that's 7.5 hours. But I can also sleep between 12.30 and 6.30, 2 a.m. and 6.30. So do you always have the same wake-up time? Yes. And that's and something really interesting yeah, yeah, you yeah. put in your book. Can you just expand on that a little bit for people I listening? I think the, the best thing about the day is the going to sleep for humans is very random uh, because we have so many things that we like to do in the evenings mm. now because we've got electric light and technology. So, But the one thing is, is starting the day. So... What I've always liked about this is that the, the sun comes around the planet and if we were sleeping outside, we would get these two hormone shifts, serotonin and melatonin. So literally, we get woken up by the start of the day. We, we become active, bowel and bladder, fuel and hydrate and all of those things in that first part of the day. And I think that consistent point with the brain with the circadian rhythms we have absolutely no control over, is a good start to your yeah. process. The first 90 minutes is critical, which we could talk about for ages. But all I'm thinking is, right, good start to the day. I've woken up. I need to give myself plenty of time. So it's an unrushed approach because I'm in a very demanding world now. I think every 90 minutes I don't have a buzzer on my wrist, but I just think tiny little breaks, distractions, every 90 minutes can add up to my recovery. I think of, you know, the, between one and three, everybody says to me they can't nap and they haven't got time to it. Do you know how much time we waste every day? So once you make it important that a little 20-minute cycle at lunchtime can actually improve and stop me wasting valuable time with this process, then you start doing it. So suddenly you start to have this relationship with polyphasic sleeping and you get this lovely thing where somebody will go, uh, well, instead of I get home from work, I've traveled, I've done this, I've got to do that and I've got to do that, I've got to cook some food, I've got to get to the gym, I've got to do this, I've got to pack my bag. Oh my God, there's only so many hours left before I've got to get up again. And it's panic. So we just go, well, do that in a nice relaxed way. Have a couple of cycles at night. Wait, put the alarm on, wake up, you know, two o'clock, which is part of, you know, 11 till two. Really? Yeah. And then iron the shirt, make a nice lunch, listen to music, make a few notes, and then go back and do 3.30 into 6.30. What? I can do that? Once somebody understands that waking up at two o'clock in the morning and feeling quite awake is completely natural, they become positive, they stop worrying. It takes the pressure off. Absolutely. It takes the pressure off. Because that anxiety and worry is a problem in itself. Really hope you're enjoying the new format so far. Just taking a very quick break to give a shout out to the sponsors, without whom, honestly, there would be no show. Now, Athletic Greens have always been a big supporter of my show, and I really, really like this company. They have one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I have ever come across. And I know many of you who have taken advantage of their introductory offer have fed back to me how much taking it each day has improved your energy, your cognition, but also your sleep. That is something we don't often think about with sleep, but good nutrition also helps good sleep. 
Athletic Greens contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, and digestive enzymes. And I love their small travel packs, which often accompany me whenever I'm on the road or on the move. If you are looking to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. If you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you will have access to a special offer where you get a free travel pack box containing 20 servings of Athletic Greens, which is worth around £70 with your first order. You can check it out at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. So often when it comes to sleep, the elephant in the room is alcohol. It's something that people don't always think about, and many of my patients mistakenly think that alcohol is a sleep aid. So what is really going on here? Well, in the next section, you'll hear once again from Matthew Walker as he gives us the hard science. But then we will move to a revealing clip from episode 85, where I share my own thoughts with Andy Ramage, a performance coach, author, and co-founder of One Year No Beer. Many people use uh, alcohol as a sleep aid, and it is anything but an assistant to sleep. Alcohol is a class of drugs that we call the sedatives, um, and sedation is not sleep, unfortunately. Yeah. It's very, sedation is not sleep. It's very it. different. Um, so what you're doing when you have a nightcap or you use alcohol to try and get to sleep, and many people do, understandably so, they mistake one for the other. You're just knocking your cortex out. You're not in natural sleep. The two other problems with alcohol and sleep, firstly, alcohol will fragment your sleep. So if I were to record someone's sleep in the laboratory after they've had a couple of drinks, their sleep is littered with all of these awakenings throughout the night. Now, you tend not to remember waking up, but the next day you feel, again, unrefreshed. You don't feel sort of bright and alert or restored by your sleep, but you don't remember waking up, so you don't link it to the alcohol. But alcohol is bad at fragmenting your sleep, produces poor quality. The final thing alcohol is good at doing is blocking your dream sleep or your REM sleep. And we know to come back to our conversation, REM sleep is critical for emotional first aid. REM sleep provides um, overnight therapy. It's a form of emotional convalescence and alcohol will block that REM sleep quite viciously. Many people are under the mistaken belief that alcohol is a sleep aid. But as I've said before, as Matthew Walker said before, sedation is not the same as sleep. Alcohol is a sedative, yeah. right? The brain waves are not doing the same thing when you have slept post-alcohol than when you slept without alcohol. You know, your REM sleep gets tanked yeah. when you've been drinking beforehand. And so, yes, you might be in bed with your eyes closed for seven or eight hours, potentially, but that doesn't mean you've slept. It doesn't mean your body is restored. And we all know, well, many anyone who's, who's drunk before knows the feeling when they have drunk that it's just a light sleep that often, you know, they wake up multiple times throughout the night, right? Yeah, exactly. And these are the things that people don't really associate with alcohol. There's an assumption that it helps with sleep. As you said, it doesn't. It's the worst thing you can yeah. do. And we know about the detrimental effects of poor sleep in terms of productivity and motivation and mental health. It, it masks symptoms like anxiety and depression. 
but it exasperates them the following day with yeah. all that anxiety or that cloud that hangs around, as I said, for one or two days. And I think that's what's going on culturally on a mass scale. Even those people, middle lane drinkers that are drinking once or twice a week, they don't realize yeah. that that cloud, that sort of slight underperformance is hanging around for days and days at a time. And when you think about that and you compound it out, you're losing maybe a quarter or half of your life to self-inflicted underperformance. Why would you do that? It, it just sort of doesn't make any sense when you start to, you know, you zoom out a bit and look yeah. back in. You know, I don't know if people would call this boring. I love going to bed early. Yeah. I love going to bed by nine. Exactly. Like, genuinely love it. I mean, my best rhythm in my life, when I get to bed at 9 p.m. and I wake up at five, I am my best self, Optimum. 100%. It just flows for me. I, I know for me, I feel when I've had a good morning routine, I've got ahead of the day. Yeah. I feel calm for the rest of the day because I know I've I've nourished myself and then I can nourish everyone else who I come into contact with. But that would not happen if even I had a half glass of wine the night before. For me, that would tank my sleep. Absolutely. I'd be groggy when I woke up and I just wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to meditate. I wouldn't want to do my breath work that I do every morning. I wouldn't want to do my movement practice because I wouldn't feel like my best self. So, from one form of liquid enjoyment to another, caffeine. Many of us enjoy caffeine each day, but it is super important to be aware of the effects caffeine could be having on your sleep. So, next, we have a little bit more from Professor Matthew Walker. Everyone knows that caffeine can help alert you and sort of keep you awake. That's the thing that's most known. Um, caffeine, if you look at some data, is probably the second most traded commodity on the surface of the planet after oil, which I think says everything about our wow. sleep-deprived state. The other thing about caffeine, however, that most people don't realize is the time that it is in your system. So most drugs have what we call a half-life, the amount of time it takes for half of that drug to be essentially excreted out your system. Caffeine has a half-life of about six or seven hours, and it's a little dependent on what type of gene that you have to sort of metabolize the caffeine, but on average, it's about that. But what's interesting is that caffeine has a quarter life of about 12 hours. What this means is that if you have a cup of coffee at noon, a quarter of that caffeine is still circulating around your brain at midnight. Wow. So to put that in context, it would be the equivalent of getting into bed and just before you turn the light out, you swig a quarter of a cup of Starbucks and you hope for a good night of sleep. It, you know, you would never do that because, yeah. you know, but that's exactly, unfortunately, what people do, you know, um, completely innocently by drinking caffeine, you know, still too late in the afternoon. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a huge problem. It, it's, it's a, I, th I think it's a big problem in society. If you, I mean, another way to quantify this is if you just look, and I've checked out the data from the Financial Times, the number of Starbucks coffee houses that have arisen <laughs> over the past 30 years is just like an exponential increase. And I think that is an expression of how we're self-medicating our state of sleep deprivation in developed nations. You know, you call it a drug. I agree with you. It is a psychoactive substance that we... You know, we, we use liberally. We let our children have it. We, you know, we're not even, you know, we often don't think about the implications of that. And so many patients of mine tell me that, Dr. Chashi, I know, you know, if caffeine can be a problem for some people, I'm not one of those. Caffeine is fine for me. But more often than not, when they either reduce their intake or cut it out completely, the sleep quality goes up. 
And, yeah. um, I, and you know, Sachin Panda, um, Professor Panda, who, you know, I know you know very well, you both sort of follow each other's research. He was on the podcast a few weeks ago. And, you know, he was saying routinely every year he will he will have a bit of a detox from caffeine. He'll go off caffeine. And he says, when I do that, yeah, I have a headache for a few days, but my sleep always improves. I've got more energy and my productivity dramatically increases. And I think that says it all, really. It does. And, I, you know, a number of points that you made that I'd love to circle back around to. Firstly, caffeine is the only psychoactive stimulant that we do give to our children readily which, you know, is, I think, a concern. And I'm not trying to be sort of, you know, finger-pointing or finger-wagging. Again, I think it's just that parents probably don't understand the impact of caffeine in that regard. Um, I think the the second point comes on to your comment of some people say, look, I'm one of those people who can drink a cup of coffee in the evening, have an espresso after dinner, and I fall asleep fine and I stay asleep. Now, even if that's true, there was an alarming study that was done where they gave people just one single cup of coffee, a dose of 200 milligrams of caffeine, standard cup of coffee. And then they measured the quality of their deep sleep by tracking these big, powerful brain waves, these glorious, beautiful, deep brain waves that bathe um, uh, all of our brain during deep sleep at night. And it helps also restore the body. And what they found was that just one dose of caffeine in the evening decreased the amount of deep sleep by 20%. Now, you would have to normally age by about 15 years to produce that type of a deficit in your deep sleep, or you can do it every single night by having a cup of coffee. And what's interesting is that those people will wake up the next morning they won't remember waking up because they may not have woken up, but the quality of their deep sleep was so poor that they will still then feel unrestored and unrefreshed by their sleep. I need they, more caffeine. And, and so here is the irony that now they're starting to reach for two cups of coffee rather than one and so develops this dependency cycle, this sort of addiction spiral, as it were. So I think people are perhaps unaware of the, the true impact of caffeine, how long it sticks around within your system. And even if you feel that you're immune to that evening cup of coffee, how it will still impact your sleep, even though consciously you know nothing about it. As you became more and more aware of all this sleep research, what was the biggest thing in your own lifestyle that you changed on the back of your research? I think it was probably caffeine. Um, I think just seeing the data and then doing s those types of studies ourselves and particularly the, the finding that we discussed were even if you're asleep, the quality of that sleep is just not as deep. That really got me concerned. And that's when I really started to pay attention to my to my caffeine content. Um, and are you teetotal now with caffeine or are you? So right now, yeah, I am. I drink decaffeinated tea and I drink decaffeinated coffee. Um, I sometimes, you know, I've ebbed and flowed between sort of having coffee in the morning um, because I do feel it's it's alerting benefits. But, you know, we didn't necessarily evolve to be medicated with caffeine. And I think anyone who's, you know, drinking caffeine at 11 a.m., which on the basis of your circadian rhythm, if you listen to the wonderful podcast with uh, Sachin Panda that you did, you know, your peak of your circadian rhythm is right around sort of the 11 o'clock period. That's when it should be almost impossible for you to fall asleep. But yet, you know, I sometimes look around on an airplane when I'm leaving and people, <laughs> half the plane is asleep at 11 o'clock. Yeah. Um, and if you're self-medicating um, your sleep deprivation at 11 a.m. with caffeine, it usually means that you're perhaps just not getting enough sleep. And that's probably been one of the greatest, um, I think, influential factors. 
that and the impact on my productivity I think that was the the most underrated and it actually forced me to start doing a lot of research on sleep loss and productivity that maybe on a second podcast we can well, talk we about. Can get but, into, yeah. but, you know, my ability to re- maintain focus and produce high quality output work is dramatically dependent on the sleep that I've been having at night. You know, I, I, I often say this when I'm teaching doctors, you know, why are we not bringing up sleep quality with pretty much every single patient that walks in through our door. From everything I can tell, sleep is perhaps one of the most democratic, freely available, efficacious forms of um, of health insurance that you could ever wish for. So we started off this episode with Dr. Guy Meadows, and we're going to head back to him to wrap things up with some advice and tips we can all put into practice. Guy, one of the reasons I do this podcast is to empower as many people as possible to become the architects of their own health. And I always Mm. like, where possible, to leave the listener with something that they can reflect on or think about, uh, hopefully something simple and actionable that they might be able to put into their own life, introduce into their own life immediately. Great. Have you got some top tips for the listeners? Sure. So what I'll try to do there is, is uh, mix them up for the general population and for the sort of the insomniacs as well. Great. So, so I, I think the first one is, is that's possibly the most basic, but it's really needed. And that's make sleep a priority in your life. You know, agree more. It is the most powerful performance enhancer. You know, it impacts every biological process. If you are truly sort of, um, you know, uh, passionate about improving your health, then just make sure you get a little bit more sleep. You know, sort of set a go-to-bed alarm, you know, sort of to, to help you, you know. And we're not talking much, you know, just 15, 30 minutes and we can notice yeah. an impact. So wow. that would be the first one. Um the second one is, again, echoing you know, a lot of what you say, sort of live a lifestyle which helps to uh, facilitate better sleep. So you know, I'll, I'll sneakily sort of include a few in here. So just you know, manage your caffeine intake. So you know, sort of having uh, two or three cups knocking on the head by midday or something like that. You know, get outside, uh, expose yourself to natural light. Ideally, sort of uh, bright light, 10 a.m. in the morning, 10 minutes of that light. And that will help to not only give you that sort of uh, boost to wake you up in the morning, but also help to synchronize your body clock and help you sleep better in the night as well. Sure. And then, you know, we've been talking a lot. Be just be mindful, you know, sort of uh, allow yourself some time to to notice, take perspective on the content that's showing up in your mind, the thoughts, emotions, um, you know, sort of physical sensations, etc. And and uh, perhaps, you know, not believe everything that your mind says yeah. says to you, allow it to pass and become more of a sort of a noticer and witnesser. And then, you know, for the chronic insomniacs, it's uh, let go of the struggle. You know, it, it's that it's that endless struggle to try and get rid of their sleep, which causes them to experience more sleeplessness. Wow. Many of my clients will go, I can't live my life until I get rid of my insomnia. Well, the result is they just never get around to living their lives. Yeah. So actually, you know, I know it's hard, but start living your life with your insomnia. Okay, that doesn't mean you need to run a marathon. You may have plans to, but just going for a walk around the block is, it means that you're, you're moving towards uh, that thing of value, that sort of health value, but whilst, you know, experiencing insomnia. And the more you begin to do that, what happens is that you start to resent insomnia less. And the less you resent it, uh, the, the less struggle there is, the more you sleep, the more you sleep, the more you live. Thank you.
That concludes today's very special episode of Feel Better, Live More. I really, really hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully there were a few new tips in there that you might want to introduce into your own life. For me, echoing what Guy said at the end there, make sleep a priority. Honestly, for some people, that is all you have to do. Really understand and embrace the fact that sleep is really, really important pick your ideal time to go to bed. I would add, make sure an hour or so beforehand you shift out of day mode and into night modes. You might want an alarm to remind you. You may want to put the laptop and your phone away. But honestly, do something relaxing. Do not watch the news if you can. Have a relaxing bath. It really can make a big difference. And also, don't forget about the morning. What you do in the morning will impact your ability to sleep at night. Getting natural light as soon as you wake up, if you can get out in the garden, have a cup of tea, have a cup of coffee, do a bit of movement out there, or even a bit of meditation or mindfulness first thing in the morning has been shown to help improve sleep at night. Please try not to forget that sleep impacts every single aspect of your health, your mood, your memory, your cognition, your anxiety, and even your weight. It is that important. And for most people, it really is something that is possible to get on top of. Sometimes one small tweak will be enough. Other times you may have to do several things at once. You might need, for example, to have natural light exposure first thing in the morning and to only consume caffeine before noon and have no screens for one hour before bed. No matter what you have to do, getting a good night's sleep, I feel, is your birthright and should be your natural default state. Often, we simply need to get out of our own way with lifestyle habits that we have picked up over the years. Of course, I will add, if you are a new mum or have young children, please try not to worry too much. I know it can be challenging to get as much sleep as you would ideally want. Do what you can, but know that this time will pass. If you want more tips on sleep, there are plenty of them, along with explanations in my first two books, The Four Pillar Plan and The Stress Solution, which are available in paperback, ebook, and as audiobooks, which I am narrating. Please do let me know what you thought of today's show on social media. Do you want more shows like this? Do you like the shorter format? If you can spare two minutes, I really would love to know. And also, if you like some of the individual clips that you heard on the podcast today and you want to go back and check out the full conversations, you can see links to all five of the original episodes on the show notes page, which is drchatterjee.com forward slash 111. Now, many of you ask me how you can support my weekly podcast. Honestly, one of the best ways is to support the sponsors. Without them, there really would be no show. I've now got a page on my website with all the special links provided by the sponsors to have access to their promotional offers. You can see all the offers there from companies like Vivo Barefoot and Athletic Greens at drchastity.com forward slash sponsors. Please, as always, do give the show a review if you do get a spare 20 to 30 seconds or so. And as always, do share with your friends and family. I always do appreciate your support. A big thank you to Vanata Chastji and Sarah Swanston for producing this week's podcast and to Richard Hughes for audio engineering. 
That is it for today. I hope you have a fabulous week. Make sure you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back in one week's time with my latest conversation. Remember, you are the architects of your own health. Making lifestyle changes always worth it because when you feel better, you live more. I'll see you next time. Oh,